0: Arsenal get gunned down by City, but Jorginho turns hero as they down the villains. Just when you think they're back in front, City come falling to the ground at the City ground. Rashford plays fox in the box yet again as United box out the foxes. And Newcastle might have a pope, but God was on Liverpool's side as they finally have a good week. All this and more in this week's episode of the Tokidaka Podcast. Alright, welcome back to the Talky Taka podcast. I say welcome back because we're reconvening after a small hiatus, um, unplanned hiatus. But here we are yet again. We have on the panel today RK and Ashwin. Let's start with you RK. How have the past few weeks been and what are your talky moments? Hey guys,
1: really long time. It's It's been a good few weeks uh, for Manchester United after the Arsenal debacle. Uh, 10 points in the last four games, uh, getting points from games that we ought to get points from. My docu point of the game is the man on the rise, the man with the world at his feet, Marcus Rashford. In a brilliant game, I thought Barcelona versus United, great atmosphere, great tactics, very chaotic game. Uh, and the moment where he dribbled past Conde on the corner uh, and then crossed into the box, uh, you know... Uh, and we got an on goal. I think that's the uh, like that's my talking moment of the week. It kind of reminded me a bit of uh, Alexander Arnold's quick corner, you uh, know, in in, uh, you know, in a previous campaign. So that's my moment of the week. Not
0: not often we hear from RK with something positive related to Trent Alexander Arnold. Let's come to you, Ashwin. What was your talking moment of the week?
2: Yeah, not often do we hear anything positive from RK about Manchester United as well. But here we are. Uh, uh, for me, uh, the talking moment of the week is uh, from the Bundesliga. It's a three-way race between, um, Bayern, Union Berlin, and uh, Dortmund. Uh, Bayern have not been in the bestest of forms. They uh, over the past five games, they have I think drawn, uh, drawn one, lost two. Uh, if I'm not wrong, whereas Dortmund have won five games in a row. Uh, so. The last time we had Dortmund this close to winning the title was probably in the Tuchel era, uh, and then they they kind of imploded towards the end. Uh, so I'm really excited to see you know what happens in the Bundesliga over the next uh, uh, you know ten odd games that's remaining fifteen uh, odd games that are remaining. Um, so yeah, all eyes on the Bundesliga for me.
0: Could this be the year that we finally have a real challenge at the top of the Bundesliga? Uh, three teams on the same points. I think couple of teams between three and four points behind the top three as well. So looks exciting. Let's see how the li- next few weeks go. Um, my talking moment of the week. Finally, I uh, I think the break the, the podcast break came at a good time because it was not a fun time to be a Liverpool fan. Wouldn't have known what to say on this podcast for several weeks. But finally, a good week. The Merseyside derby and beating Newcastle. Um, at at the new at Newcastle's home stadium, it's not something that uh, we could have taken for granted. I I could have gone for either of the goals that Liverpool scored. They were great goals, but I'm going to go for that amazing uh, Pope red card. Um, I think uh, Alisson to Salah for me is like it's as. I, it should be talked about in the same levels as Kane to It For a keeper and a striker, it just happens way too often and it's is really exciting. And I love the fact that he got the bend on the ball which really um, got poked like like a deer caught in headlights. He didn't know what to do and resulted in one of the most comical moments of the weekend. Going to head a ball which was... <laughs> on the floor and then not panicking not realizing what is happening and grabbing the ball when he was 45 yards away from goal uh, exciting um, exciting for all liverpool fans watching that couldn't help but laugh uh, it helped that we were 2-0 up at the time so we could laugh otherwise i would have been really pissed that he stopped the goal but all in all good day good week uh, good results and uh, really funny moments so i'll go for that talking of funny moments uh, you know when
1: you describe that whole thing the first thing that came
0: to my mind was Tyrone Wings. What a brilliant assist. Uh, the most the most overrated player in the league with and see, after he made that amazing assist, I was just keeping an eye out for him. Let's see, okay, maybe his game picks up from here. He's a mountain. That guy is probably 6'4, big guy. Every single header that he had in that game was a recipe for some some kind of calamity. Even after that. Oh man, I don't know what people see in that guy. 30 odd million they paid for him. But anyway, we well, let's get right into that game then. So Tyron Mings is superb assist, played a huge part in the title race. So RK, what did you make of Arsenal's game?
1: Yeah, Arsenal have been through uh, like some real difficulty in the past few weeks uh, since we last connected, right? And and we have been talking about, you know, what's coming next for them. Uh, you know, some of us were kind of looking forward to this kind of a slump because this always happens with any team. What was interesting was how Arsenal would respond. And when you look at the fixture list with what has just ended for them with the City and United games, uh, you always thought that, you know, they had to win, just had to win this Villa game. So, from that perspective, a really interesting game and uh, the way Arsenal reacted to going behind twice, So, they showed their frailty as well as, you know, their spirit that we have talked about this season finally came to the fore after 3 or 4 games. Uh, started off very badly, very chaotic first half where, you know, Villa were, you know, uh, 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 like kind of countering at will. We know that that is Unai Emery's one of the strengths as well of his teams. But Arsenal gradually, especially after half-time, you know, I thought really entered the game. Very impressive. That must have been a very intense half-time team talk, I'm assuming, from Arteta as well. And slowly but surely, you know, they came back to those fundamentals, uh, started pressing high, winning the ball up. And uh, like one of the great anomalies of that second half for me was they missed a handful of easy chances, uh, but scored from, you know, really low XG chances and finally... Uh, you know, as we discussed, the most the like the easiest ghost, uh, you know, goal possible was how they ended the
0: match. Yeah, I mean, uh, Arsenal have had a tough uh, couple of weeks. I think the buffer that they built up, the eight-point buffer that they built up, they've spent every little bit of that buffer. Um, I think we we were all shocked and surprised to see how well they started without uh, Gabriel Jesus in their team. And Katia was a big positive. I think over the last few weeks you've started to see that in a tight game where things are not perhaps going to go completely your way those one or two moments where Enketia he does all the things right he makes the right runs he's energetic he gets in behind but he does fluff his lines a little bit when it really counts uh, not that Gabriel Jesus is one of the most clinical finishers in the world he's not but he brings a lot to the team and they definitely have missed that especially as Martinelli's had a little bit of a down phase as well for them um, but that being said all you can do in a pressure situation is bring out the three points they didn't have a great game they had a superb second half and all I could think about in the first half was that Arsenal are so mortal where there is they're definitely not the Arsenal of the first half of the season they can be got at they have mistakes in them their backline doesn't look that imperious backline that they were I think Saliba doesn't look like the imperious centre-back that he he looked like in the first uh, first half they are not out of the woods by a long shot, they are in trouble for sure, City have caught up with them and now it's going to be very difficult for them to hold on but what else can you do than get the 3 points in a situation like that. Great great result for them and uh, I am still on the Arsenal bandwagon. I think from the 99, one per, 99% uh, Arsenal champions have probably <laughs> come down a few notches but still expecting Arsenal to win
2: yeah i said a few weeks back that uh you know arsenal really need to strengthen a lot um or at least need to have uh, good substitute options in in order to win the league especially with the europa league starting uh and uh of course Arteta also made this comment that you know they had a europa league game uh on thursday and then they had to play uh that early game as well um so they made some really shoot signings in Trossard and uh, and uh, Jorginho uh, Jorginho more so because he is someone who knows uh, how to win trophies uh, that's not something that's not something that the arsenal team is accustomed to right so having someone who has that championship winning mentality really helps um, also Trossard uh, comes in at a very good time for arsenal because obviously Martinelli has been struggling a bit i say struggling but like the lofty heights that he has achieved already in the season we are com- probably comparing to that uh, having said that he did come late on and score a goal as well uh with villa you don't really know you know what you're going to get uh, one day they are like this team who are beating man united and the other day you can you know this they, they, they this this team were shipping in uh, or, you know four or letting in rather four goals um, um the other the other factor is cities themselves they are not the city of before they're not the ones who are going to get like 100 points or 90, 99 points or whatever they got last season um the draw against nottingham forest i know we're talking about that later but like it's it's something that came out of nowhere i think city have had a few games like that i my mind immediately goes back to the game that they had against spurs where they where they uh, where they dropped points there as well Um, So, I think it will ultimately come down to consistency and I feel Arsenal, of course, they had that momentarily blip, blip, but also so did City. So, ultimately, it will come down to that and I think that's where Arsenal will probably win it.
1: Talking of City, uh, Pep has been trying a few, you know, innovations and uh, like people call it overthinking and stuff, uh, right? Uh, With with respect to Bernardo Silva has been kind of, you know, playing as a left-back off the ball and then… He kind of becomes a you know defensive midfielder or uh, like the guy who brings out the ball from the back and then uh, you know it's it's basically Pep trying to react uh, and find a formation where he still can have four people in midfield I think that's a big thing for him to get that kind of four people in midfield five people in midfield and you know still be able to keep Haaland up front and two people wide so he's trying to find that balance he, tried, he found it with Silva in one game uh, against Villa, if I remember, and then that came a bit undone, you know, uh, like uh, uh, like against Arsenal in the first half. So, I think he's, he's doing a bit of tinkering to get the best out of his team. He's had, you know, moments where the motivation within the squad is perhaps not at the level that it was. Uh, so, all in all, it's been a bit chaotic. Uh, season, you know, tactics-wise, motivation-wise for City. So, so what do you guys think?
0: I've had a chat with you with you offline on this RK. In my opinion, Man City are finishing third this season. I, I, I mean, it's not a. You guys can obviously say that I'm trying to jinx, but I'm not jinxing. I am. I'm, I'm saying it. The reason why I still have Arsenal ahead in the title race as well is because it's not really that Arsenal are the Imperious team that they were. It's it's because I think City have way too many flaws. The the straw that broke the camel's back for me was the Cancelo the entire Cancelo leaving Man City at the end of the transfer window. No viable replacement. Probably we on this pod went on so many like Long discussions on how he's probably the best fullback in the league. Definitely the best left back in the league. Um, I I conceded in my own, uh, what, what you call the northern teams. Um, uh, Levin that he would be a, a left back starting over the likes of Andrew Robertson. He's letting go of him. And then you add to that the rest of the season where it was Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, Zinchenko... They've let go of two fullbacks in a team that already looked a little light at fullback. Uh, considering that Kyle Walker sometimes plays centre back and he's not very fit all the time, I'm absolutely gobsmacked at what, what I don't know what the think tank at City. Maybe they're overconfident. Maybe they're a little too. Um, let's say that oh, if somebody doesn't want to be here, then they don't need to be here. I'm totally okay with that. Taking a little bit of that high road. I just don't understand it. It's not the way champions behave. And for me, in a chaotic season like this, where they didn't have a good, pre- nobody's had a good preseason. They've not had a very long break in the summer. You've had a mid mid season break for the World Cup. Reducing your numbers just makes no sense whatsoever to me. And then you add four top squad players that you let go of with probably signing only Julian Alvarez. Who sure he's a good player, but he's not going to plug all those gaps. And the fact that, yes, they're trying to bring in Haaland into their team and find a new way of playing. There are way too many question marks and way too many, I would say, mistakes made in bravado for me. Um, that's why I think Man City are not going to win the league. And for me, they're so inconsistent that I'd even say that an, a team which is doing like a decent job, not like really killing it like United are, but just a decent job would be enough to pip them in the league.
1: Yeah, I, I know you are in a real hurry to you know put United above City in the table. But, but you know, talking of the players uh, that you said, they are missing, I think, I think it was also a kind of swagger, a kind of arrogance, uh, you know, to, to ship players uh, and really good players at that to Arsenal. I'm sure Pep is rethinking about that uh, right now. But, but, you know, why I still have City as slight favourites in the title race is because of their know-how, which Arsenal have shown recently that, you know, they might be lacking. I think when it comes to the crunch, especially when we enter the last few games... This know-how and the experience, you know, that they demonstrated in the last few games, they they will start to show more of that uh, is what I'm expecting. And, you know, when it comes to the crunch, I, I don't think that kind of, a, uh, you know, results, the patch that Arsenal had is not beyond them, you know, uh, like going through that kind of a patch again. So, for me, I'm still betting a bit on City. But, yeah, I, I agree to your points with how unconvincing they have been. But, you know, just even looking back to Fergie's time, I think, uh, you know, these teams just find a way to win
0: sometimes. You know, all all that you're saying is true and is absolutely logical and and I, I, I buy all of that, but some part of me is now not thinking with the mind anymore. I'm thinking a little bit with the with the heart as well. It's really pissing off the kind of the arrogance and the 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 bravado of these moves just it's it's like a slap in the face of anybody who's, you know, seriously trying to take this league. Uh, like, trying to win this league. I I can't believe a team would behave that the way City has behaved. Sure, they got Haaland. Sure, they got Alvarez. But... I mean, just giving up four of your players in a season like this—it deserves to be smacked across the face. And then, oh, uh, I, I think when things are not going well, you see the real, the real, true character of of people and a team. Um, this 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 week against Nottingham, oh my God! The, the moment something went happened, there were eight guys around the referee. I could I could see Busquets' face on the screen. I could just see it. I, everything that was happening on the screen looked of the worst of the worst Barca teams just climbing on the top of every uh, referee that they could find probably pulling out the dives i am not enjoying man city play and i would love to see them fail to be honest
1: and and you know looks like the fa agrees with you know whatever you are saying radha if if they have their way and we all hope so there's some real smack on the face coming soon
0: yeah maybe i can juggle a couple of premier league titles as well that will be fun for sure
2: yeah, it's great to see Radha has United's uh, best interests in his arts. But um, I, I like I I I also feel that it'll ultimately be Arsenal. But I don't think City will be any anything below second. Um, they, like just 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 because of what you said, Radha, There there have been loads of blips uh, already in the season, and I expect that to continue. Uh, you made this really good point about selling top players. And uh, it's not; it goes. Uh, it, it is not restricted to this particular season, right? With Cancelo, you they also sold Ferran Torres. Uh, I think it was last year. And if you go all those years back, Leroy Sane was another you know high flying player that they sold. So yeah, I mean they're used to doing this and probably pep things. You know, it's the system that um uh that works, and it's not the player that makes them win the win the title. Uh, but yeah city are definitely a force to reckon with but i i feel there's something that is off this season right like they are not able to uh you know grind out those results that they were they would have previously been able to the wins that they have got those have been like really dominant wins like four nils and three nils and whatnot but like they're not able to get those grind those results out that they that they were used to doing previously
0: yeah, and see, like you said, they've sold them in the past and sure they have, but I, four squad players in the same season, in a season wh- which is so, there's so much chaos in the season. I mean, anyway, I, have a, uh, I don't think they've done the right thing. Time will tell. Maybe they'll still win the title. Maybe they of course, the marketing geniuses that they are, they're the top revenue club in the world, obviously, um, they know how to mm, like manage finances and nobody knows better than them. But uh, let's see whether, who, whether it actually pays off in the end. But now that we've all agreed that United are going to finish above them, let's move to United. RK is wearing the jersey and everything for this episode. So let's come straight to you RK. Uh, been an interesting few weeks for United. Um, how, was, how was the week?
1: yeah i think the last few weeks have shown you know the ingenuity of ten uh, hag the manager he has uh, shown how to you know blend in with players missing so there were a couple of suspensions uh, even in the europa casemiro has been the biggest miss after the palace game uh, where he has missed the last three uh, premier league games we have served out those three games you know, without an obvious replacement with 7 points. Granted, that we should have gained points. We should not have lost points against Leeds at Old Trafford. But uh, the tactical mastery that he has shown in some of those games, for example, against Leeds away was a game where United really struggled. Uh, Leeds were, you know, uh, playing as they uh, you know, generally do against the top teams. Very good reactively, very good on the press. And United were struggling to build the ball from the back, which has been one of the problems and what does ten hag do he puts Wegost in a number 10 role makes you know united pump balls into him even if he loses the header there is a second ball there to be one which united started winning and getting more control of the game he also has rotated his center backs well but even in that situation he brought lisandro into that game to you know improve the passing from the back uh, got luke Shaw back into the left back position from where he delivered that great cross into rashford And we saw a continuation of that against Barcelona as well where United, I think, outwitted Barcelona in the main tactical moments. Uh, And we saw that again against Leicester where after a poor first half uh, uh, you know, all the changes that we were expecting kind of happened very fast. That's also one more factor of Ten Hag where he's very decisive. So at halftime, he takes off Garnacho, who was having a rare, uh, you know, off game. He puts Vegas back up top, brings Sancho into the game to, you know, link play very well. So whatever changes that he's making they look logical and they are working so far and of course the other player who's taken us through this patch is Marcus Rashford. I mean I can't I can't talk enough about him. I have always been a big fan of his talent but this season he's starting to you know show that mentality. Uh, He's scoring he's maximizing his strengths he's scoring in in his own old ways like running in behind is a big source of his goals but he's also added a lot of you know, very very refreshing, powerful elements to his game like heading, getting into the box frequently. So things are, you know, looking up for United. Although there are deficiencies which we have shown against Leeds and Esther in some of the games.
2: Yeah, uh, what I like about Ten Hag is the tactical flexibility that he has, um, which is something that is obviously missing with Ole and um, um, and I think Rangnick had obviously thought that he's. <laughs> no longer at the club so i'm not going to uh, comment on him uh, uh but like uh, as rk mentioned um uh you know putting vote vegos uh, as as a number 10 against against barcelona was was something that we were not expecting and something that barcelona were also probably not expecting and uh, what it what it meant is that rashford had those moments to run behind the defenders the the first goal uh, i think uh Alonso was basically no match for him and like uh he could also like e- e- even the goal that we scored off the corner I think it was Kunde right like who he basically uh um, went past with in, like in a flash so uh those those are the kind of things that has really worked for us uh what I'm ca- a bit worried on is well two things firstly the fatigue element because we are playing so much so many games over um over these uh these next few weeks we've already played a lot of games in february so at some point in time fatigue will come into picture and that we could we could actually see that against um against leicester as well um uh, the first half it was it was very dire apart from the first five minutes in the first half i think leicester totally outplayed us um and uh, the other thing that I'm I'm slightly concerned uh, about is that all of our goals seem to come from Rashford. So if there is an injury that happens to him, um, I'm not entirely sure where those goals will come from. Uh, so uh, that's the that's me being a slightly pessimist. But like as a uh, as um uh, someone who has been optimistic about United and their chances, I think I'm really happy that United are uh, getting these results. Uh there's some. Really important games uh, to come, especially the one against Barcelona midweek, and then we have the uh, we have a chance to win the win a trophy after God knows how many years. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to these two next games.
0: Yeah, I think um, one um, one thing that's really different from past the past few seasons at United, and I'm dating this all the way back to Moyes uh, United. I think. At various points since Fergie left, there have been positive vibes around the club. I think none more so than with Ole coming in and having a good, well, interim period and then finally getting a positive, uh, getting hired as the manager after that. Uh, But a lot of the time… The vibes were just vibes. I, I think. I think the feeling of positivity was coming because of the right words that were being said in press conferences. Obviously, performances as well. That there were there were some good counter-attacking performances under Ole, But I don't think any of the managers that have come after Fergie have ever inspired confidence that hey, okay, there is a problem that we're facing in a game, and there is going to be a some solution. Some ingenuity that comes from the bench rather than just letting the people on the pitch figure it out. And for me, Ole was all about that. Just very basic kind of tactical nuances. A player for a player. Not really too many I- innovative changes that were done. Rangnick, I'm not even going to like get into that entire saga. Moyes, for me is one of the most uh, well not very imaginative at scale. So I don't think that... I think this is the first time United since Fergie have had a guy who you don't necessarily look at the look at the parts of the team you look at the overall sum of the parts which tends to be more than the just the players on the pitch and this has happened consistently now for the this season that said it's not been a outstanding i don't think it's been a, num- a second place or a third place season in terms of the the run rate at which they are getting points i, I think it's been an okay season a good season uh, top four season perhaps but the nature of the season and all the other teams that are struggling so far could potentially put United in a like a really really low key five points behind the eventual champions kind of position, which is a great place to be. Um, it doesn't mean that they don't have flaws. For me, the biggest standout thing is they have conceded twenty eight goals. Uh, Liverpool have conceded twenty eight goals, and we've had a shit season. So I mean, it's like a it's something to be like to be wary of. I think on attack, there's definite. There's definitely some lot of things that you can see that are working but for me sometimes, especially the beginning of yesterday's game against Leicester, there were so many gaps um, for a team that you just had five minutes of sheer dominance against Leicester and then the sixth minute onwards, it looked like it was Leicester's game to lose and they were just cutting through United with such ease. I felt that those were some the balance issues that he needs to solve and obviously he's a new manager, it'll come with time but definite uh, green shoots there. Um, not going to get carried away, it's definitely a work, like, and say that they're going to challenge for the title next season, but it's definitely supreme progress over every manager that they've had since working.
1: Yeah, definitely, as you said, you can see, you know, why United are very much, you know, a very transitional side, and they are still learning the ropes, Uh, you know, those are the kind of halves, the half against Leeds away, the half against, uh, you know, Leicester at home, these are the kind of games which show you where we are lacking, Sometimes the off-the-ball shape goes haywire. Frequently, we are not you know, very good at building out from the back. So we have to look for other alternatives. So these are the areas that you know, United need to work on. One more problem, of course, uh, is the squad depth. Casemiro missing. We don't really have a backup. We have too many forwards uh, injured most of the time. So those are definitely areas. But you know, coming from last season, it's it's been such a big change. I think none more evidence than the second half against Leicester. Some of the play was... It was way you know it. It was outstanding. It was outstanding position play, and you could feel that vibe at Old Trafford. You know when they were responding to that position play. Uh, but talking about you know United players, I think uh, I just wanted to know from Ashwin like uh, how do you feel about Sabitzer? How do you think he's contributing as a lone player?
2: I think Sabitzer in general has been okay. Sabitzer with Fred is not okay. Um, it probably comes down to that, right? Like, I think I would love to see how Sabitzer plays with uh, someone like Casemiro or or Ericsson when he is back. Um, Let's not forget that Sabitzer Sabitzer was not starting for Bayern as well. So, my expectation out of him wasn't like, wasn't similar to what my expectation out of Casemiro was. Um, I think it's been really mixed, right? Like, he, he... like there have been times where he has been slightly late onto the ball, but there have been times that he has looked very calm and composed as well. But you know, just because of that, you know, central mid- midfield combination between Fred and Sabitzer, it I think the jury is still kind of out on him.
1: Yeah, I have been pretty impressed uh, with him. I think one weakness is that he, uh, for me, is that he he's not too willing to build out from the back. He's not willing to drop deep and you know take the ball from the center backs and look to pass forward however once he receives the ball in midfield he's pretty confident i he, he rarely loses the ball you know in a in a way that makes you think it's it was very loose uh, something you have associated with fred right now uh, so for me and with his work ethic and you know with his defending his tackling i think he has a good all-round package which like feels like he can be a good replacement for fred in that role uh, one more thing I, I really liked about ten hag that from the start and what was again evidence at the weekend was how he drops you know players who don't merit a place in the team so maguire didn't even find a place in the squad lindelof came in and you know performed really well so that is again another thing right if you don't perform you perish and i think that culture is you know seeping through the team
0: there doesn't seem to be this kind of culture at every club in the league however um, it's not often that we spend a lot of time in the on the mid mid-table clubs, but let's spend some time on Chelsea and Liverpool now. I think uh, starting with Chelsea, uh, one win in ten games. Uh, these are the kinds of um, results that get any manager sacked in the Premier League. This is probably nine nine games too late for a Chelsea manager, given what we've seen in their history. Um, what do you? What do we make of Graham Potter somebody that we all admired and had nothing but positive things to say all through the first half of the season but then this move to Chelsea came about and Chelsea have gone around and signed people for 700 billion dollars so wh- what has what's gone wrong I mean how have how have we reached this situation where we are talking about a potential sacking already uh, for a new manager at Chelsea uh, and they are like 10th, they are in 10th place and not going anywhere soon. What's gone wrong, RK?
1: Yeah, so it's it's been very, you know, odd. The, the last thing I expected from a Graham Potter team was, you know, to look disjointed, uh, to look, you know, kind of incongruous in attack, uh, you know, uh, like not knowing how to build, not knowing how to defend. That was, you know, the like one of the last things that you associated with, uh, you know, a Potter team at, uh, you know, when he was at Brighton. Uh, ha- I, I see a lot of, you know, uh, comparison or a lot of similarity with how Moyes was managing at United for some reason. I think it mainly stems from how his communication has been, his body language has been, his general confidence has been. It seems like uh, while we all thought that he was capable of taking up this kind of a role in terms of his tactical, uh, you know, expertise, but after coming in his body language, has been you know he he has always felt a bit overwhelmed for me and probably that is something that is you know seeping into the training ground it's seeping into his interactions with players in how he goes about team building and in building team spirit so you don't see that togetherness you don't see that fighting spirit in the team at all that's also to do with how many of their players you know have been brought in suddenly mid-season on a parachute and how many of their older players who are struggling are still with the club? We we, we talk about Auba. We talk about Hakim Ziyech who wanted to be anywhere else in the world but at Chelsea. But uh, they've somehow, you know, managed to screw up his paperwork. I don't know how. So, you know, the, the whole... And to be fair to Potter, he's had to deal with a whole new level of shit, right? He was brought in, like, after the preseason ended. He's had to deal with lots and lots of injuries. He's had, you know whole new bunch of players coming in, whole new, play, uh, you know, bunch of players wanting to leave but not able to leave. So, I mean, we have to cut in some slack but also one more thing that I was reading about and probably which is worth mention is that in the last few games, he settled on somewhat, you know, what you feel is a balanced side and if you look at the XG for versus XG against, they, it has been a constant upward curve in the last few games is what I was seeing. Uh, you know, on an athletic video and which shows that probably, you know, while the results don't show it, they might be turning a curve. So, I think he deserves at least a few more games for us to really find out about that.
2: Yeah, um, see, he he came with a lot of fanfare, right, because of the great work that he had done at Brighton. Uh, But I remember, I think we were discussing it in the group and Ab was mentioning that he did not have a really good start with Brighton as well. Now... uh, the fact is, this is the Premier League, and one did you say one win in ten games? That's that's not something that uh, you know that that any owner would be okay with. Uh, well, Boli seems to be okay with it, but I feel that's more because of the fact that he is. Uh, it was his decision to remove an elite manager like Tuchel and get on uh, get on someone like Potter, right? Uh, I feel somewhere the owners feel that you know they they have. They have this right and it is it is just a matter of time and we'll make all these signings of you know young promising players and then Potter because he's a re- he's a really great coach he will be able to almost like confront a team together that I mean well till now we have not you we're, we're not seeing any signs of that right um, I I also feel that somehow Potter did not want all these signings. It's kind of similar to uh I, I, I really feel that all these signings are something that the owners owners have kind of you know uh, taken a decision on, and maybe Potter wanted some other players, or maybe he did not want so many players to work with as well. Now I understand that there have been a lot of injuries, but like he doesn't seem to have an understanding of what, what his best team is. So somewhere I feel that you know uh, it's it, like he's he's being set up for failure by the owners themselves by having so many players at his disposal. Um, and he hasn't yet figured out what to do with them.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I was having a chat with somebody offline. And this is exactly what I thought as well, that I think that there is no coming back from this from for Potter. It's not that he's a bad coach or maybe he's out of his depth. It's, it's possible that he's out of his depth and he's not used to this scale of things and that's always a, 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 a risk with these people. I had the same doubts about um, Arteta I had the same doubts about Ole I had the same doubts about now Graham Potter I I I do think that Brighton is not perhaps the best stepping stone to a project like Chelsea if the the ambition was so high considering what we just saw in January. So for me there's a lot of similarity between this and what happened to Ole pre-season where you dump Varan, Sancho and Ronaldo into a team that he's managing and just overnight from a hey top four would be good to if you don't challenge for the title you're going to be under a lot of stress so I don't think it's the same thing situation with Chelsea because clearly it's new ownership obviously they, ex- they expect it to take some time uh, but you cannot deny that something like this, uh, these kinds of signings, I think, I don't know, 300 million odd is what um, is something like that is what the the money that they've been spending. I think that will definitely add a lot of pressure, implicit or explicit to his job. Then you add to the fact that no manager would ever want this to happen. Like how do you ever bring stability and structure to, to a situation where there is so much... So many moving parts and so much chaos, and I, I liken that to Nottingham Forest, right? Uh, you're you're expecting the team to thrive in chaos when maybe the scales of the two clubs are very different. Maybe so. I all this said, one out of ten games is not good enough for any manager and any club at any level. So the, I'm not going to say that he deserves to get some more time. He probably probably may get sacked. But he, he has been set up for failure. Uh, you're absolutely right, Ashwin. I don't think there's any um, upside. Uh, I think the uh, the opposite of this was when Lampard came into Chelsea, where they had they were banned in the transfer market. They had nobody they could buy. They had a bunch of kids. That was a no-lose situation. Whatever he did would have been considered positive. For me, right now, he's in a no-win situation. Like, if he does something good, he'll probably finish, like, I don't know, 6th place. That's not good enough if you consider the quality of the squad and the number of people they brought in. If he does something bad... He he could finish in the bottom half, and that that's a real dent to his own career as and and ambitions to take on a big club. So this is a no-win situation for me for Potter.
1: Talking of like, can you guys imagine a situation you know where a new owner comes in uh, to Liverpool or to United, and you know the first thing that he does, or not the first thing, but one of the things that he does is you know he sacks Klopp, saying that I want a new era, or you know uh, like like someone comes in and sacks Ten Hag. I can't even
0: imagine the reaction to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, if it's if Liverpool get bought over by somebody from the Gulf, it's it's definitely going to happen. There's going to be a Klopp sacking in the or a Klopp leaving. So. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I, well, maybe not a Klopp? sacking, but he'll probably he'll probably walk away from from the club. Anyway, that being said, it's um, it's it, yeah. So what the point you're making, RK is. Uh, A real legend and an icon of the club that Tuchel was. Granted, things were not going so well at the time. Uh, He didn't have a great record towards the end as well. But, I mean, they're still singing his name in the crowd, right? So, um, that's the kind of impact. And I think the the way that he handled the situation around Abramovich and all the sanctions. I think the, the Chelsea following have really got a tight connection with him uh, he's still unemployed uh, who knows there may be a Real Madrid job up for grabs at the end of the summer uh, here Carlo Ancelotti is having his head turned so you never know but um, or if uh, Nagelsmann does end up on the wrong side of a of, of a title race then probably Bayern Munich as well you never know but I think yeah uh, Chelsea fans probably would take Tuchel in a heartbeat today. If you if you offer them the chance of Tuchel or Potter, they'll probably go Tuchel at this point.
1: Chelsea fans are a unique bunch, and I think I, I'll take this opportunity with no Chelsea fans on the pod. But you know when results are going back, they will ask for the manager or call for the manager to be sacked and then they sing his name in the crowd often.
0: Okay. To be fair, I don't think too many people would have been calling for Tuchel's name to be sacked and maybe like Mourinho in the second phase and things like that but Tuchel did seem to have an unbreakable bond with the fans. They were not happy with the performance but I don't think they ever at at the way that they got booed at Southampton like against Southampton this week. I don't think that happened too many times with Tuchel. So that's uh, i guess an unfortunate situation where you're in this position where a club legend is left and a new manager really promising manager we were all hoping he gets a big job yeah. uh, but i for me like like i said i think it's going to end only in one way and that's tragedy all right let's move on to another tragedy uh, that's been liverpool's season this time around a um, couple of decent perform well couple of decent results um, Newcastle away is not an easy fixture. It's, they've only lost twice this entire season, and both of them have ended up being to Liverpool home and away. Um, They're conceded the least amount of goals, and yet within twenty minutes they were two two goals down and having their keeper sent off. Um, some things went well for Liverpool in both Everton and Newcastle games. Um, they had the counter attacking seemed to be back. I think. Uh, The pace with which they were able to counter having Nunes on the left and Salah on the right while having a slightly withdrawn forward with Cody Gakpo who's taken up that false 9 role that I expected him to take up when he first signed. I think that's having some um, positive signs. Attacking-wise, there are definitely some good positive signs. The way that we are able to move the ball quickly up front and people, the the left-back and right-back, really bombing and committing towards the counter-attack is... it reminds us of the Liverpool teams of the past. And all this has become possible because of that midfield change that we've made. We've got Fabinho with Bacetic. Uh, and I really think that Bacetic has been the spark that has led, that has created this um, renaissance of sorts. Um, he is actually showing Fabinho how the job needs to be done. Fabinho is still struggling. I don't think... He, he's He's had a Decent couple of games against Everton and uh, Newcastle, but it's not at all uh, to the level that a number six would be expected. But Bacetic is just going from strength to strength, and having him there instead of Thiago or instead of a Harvey Elliott, uh, and having him, Fabinho, and Henderson. It, it's, it's a throwback to the 2017-18 and 18 functional midfield that Liverpool used to have with Milner, Wijnaldum and Henderson. I, I think this is giving the fullbacks a lot of confidence and a lot of bravery to step forward and really commit to the attacks. And I am totally for this. I don't think we have the skill or the control to, to, to be more adventurous in midfield anymore. Uh, especially with a big game against Real Madrid coming up. I think play safe have these three limited midfielders who can cover the left back and the right back and I think this is the best chance that we have of getting points Um, Great to see Diogo Jota, Virgil van Dijk and Roberto Firmino back, although Roberto Firmino and Jota or, and Van Dijk, all three of them seem to have real howlers of a game when they came on. It looked like they were just there to put a tick mark that one of the doctors said that hey, they need to play 30 minutes, so no matter what, get it done this game. Uh, they were nowhere near the pace that is required, but good to see them back. Hopefully that augurs well for a, for a, the second half of the season, which is going to be critical for us. Just now, potentially, if we win the game in hand, three points behind Newcastle—not a bad place to be, considering it was gloom and doom.
2: Yeah, I really feel the game against Everton is where it, um, where you saw glimpses of the old Liverpool. Uh, you mentioned the the kid batchetage if that's how you pronounce his name. I can get never get his name right. He was he was just uh, he was just brilliant. Like I, I was like, okay, who's this? Who's this kid? Uh, kid? Because. Uh, Radha and co have been talking about the problems in Liverpool midfield and he seems to be like bossing it around um so it was it was it was really good to see some kind of stability in the midfield what I really liked in that game is uh how comfortable Trent and Robertson were especially Robertson I think he had an absolutely fantastic game he uh um. Uh. I mean, we have been talking about uh, a lot of the defensive frailties of Liverpool, but you tend to forget how good these two fullbacks are going forward, and that's what we saw against uh, against Everton as well. Um. uh Rather, you mentioned that. Uh, you have some players coming back. Um. But also, I felt the players were already on the pitch. uh Darwin Nunez and Cody Gakpo. They. They seem to be. They seem to be building some sort of. Uh, confidence ahead of you know some really important games coming up. So how do you feel about them?
0: Yeah, so you you know that I've always had um, I've always expected Newnes to eventually come good. I think he's still very raw. He's still not nothing's changed that dramatically from say seven eight games ago. He has that that chaos-creating factor. And I think that's really being unleashed when he's on the left. Having um, a false nine connecting with the midfield and then having two breaking with speed on either side, that is what really made us who we were, right? That the Bobby Firmino, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, the triplet that, that, that did so well, that only happened because we had a double threat on both wings. And I think the few games that Gakpo played on the left he was very safe and very neat and tidy and all the things and he was linking with the midfield but he was not really that threat, that really scary threat to the fullback and I think Darwin Yunus is definitely that. Now, he may be the number 9 in the future seasons but right now, especially with Luis Diaz still yet to come back, he is definitely the the right solution for us on the left right now and we are. I think we, we don't need to have these labels of winger and striker anymore because Salah has definitely changed the way that narrative has gone out. We've changed what a winger forward really means uh, in any team right now. So Nunes can definitely continue being the, a, a really strong goal threat while being on the left. And for me, um, his, his touch and finish was something that we've seen a lot of this season. It's just that usually that wally goes straight to the keeper so i think that's been the that was the difference that between this game and a lot of other games he's done all these things well before it's just that this time he put it in the corner and i still think that it was an instinctive finish he didn't take that extra second and maybe place it around the keeper and he's, he needs to learn that part but lot of uh, lot of like up, like lot of upside to his potential i still see and i expect him to become a really good player for us
1: do you also think that the decision to play Gakpo as striker is because he's more calm and composed in finishing as opposed to Nunez who keeps missing chances?
0: Nunes will continue to miss chances and Gakpo is calm, is composed. I just don't think he had that burst of lightning pace on the left and he's a very good player very very intelligent player what really struck me is the narrative before he signed was that he is not very tactically good he's not very defensively good very quickly the the first thing that i could notice in his game is that he's tactically superb like he's really it's it just points to the fact that he's a very quick learner i think he's a student and he really listens to instruction and and pays attention to what his coaches are telling him because you hardly saw all the highlights that we saw in the world cup and in the dutch dutch league we hardly saw any of that in the first few games what you did see is that he was closing down the spaces making somebody find a more difficult pass that part he's really good at for me he's a natural firmino replacement i i the fact that he also has a turn of pace he has a turn, like a little bit of skill i think those are all good bonuses to have but he links in with the midfield so intelligently I think he was always meant to be the the false nine that we needed. Um, maybe I just saw online that Rafael van Der Waart saying that Klopp is making a huge mistake. He he needs to be on the left where he has space to run and all that. I can't disagree more. For me, he's a he's a definite false nine. Um, newness I think. Uh, yeah, perhaps we need to shield him from that responsibility of being in that number nine position a bit. Uh, he's not going to suddenly become a great finisher overnight. So I think the left side is a good place for him to be. Uh, just one point though on the goal that he scored, that's the that's the danger and the strength of Trent Alexander Arnold. For me, Everton. There were a lot of people singing his praises after Everton's after the Everton game. I didn't think he had a great game. I thought he was okay. I thought Robertson was outstanding. Uh, Trent for me was still not at his attacking best, uh, though there were signs of course. But in that Everton game, what he did do, like he does usually, is those long pinging 60-yard balls across the field to Robertson. He did that really well and that is the, if you if you actually look at the goal that um, that Darwin Younes scored, there was a moment where Darwin is between Trippier and the centre-back and then Trent gets on the ball and any normal defender in that scenario would mark Darwin-Yunes, he would get tight on Darwin-Yunes, prevent him from having the space to run into the box between the centre-back and right-back. But he does the opposite. He makes a run for Robertson on the other side of the flank. And that's the danger that Trent Alexander-Arnold poses. No other player on the pitch or any in any other team would have caused the right-back to make that move, to actually leave a big space between the centre-back and the right-back and go towards the flank and then he has the quality to pick out that pass to Darwin so I think that's the part of the game that we need to see more of from Trent the defending will always be t- hit and miss he'll he'll need Henderson to help him out he'll need other people to help help him out but that dual threat of either hitting the central guy or the long pass to the left that is going to make every right backs job a, a, a nightmare and if you have somebody like Darwin who can collect the ball then everybody's anyway going to be a little scared so I think that augurs well for us going forward.
1: I also firmly believe that, you know, Liverpool are a bit more in the reckoning, you know, for the top four place than they were a few weeks back. They really have a chance to, you know, put a good sequence of results together and try to get into that mixer because Newcastle and Spurs have been, you know, very, very up and down Spurs all through the season and the results did not reflect that at the start they were accumulating a lot of points but after that it's... Uh, they have been, you know, uh, kind of reverting to type, the way that the results have gone. It's more conforming to their performances, whereas Newcastle, very, very impressive, but they seem to have lost you know, lost a bit of steam. I, I know I'm, you know, veering into very dangerous territory saying this before the Carabao Cup final, but rather, what do you think? Uh, do you also believe that Liverpool are in a top four race with the way that those two teams are playing?
0: Okay. Now there are two parts to it. Do we? Do I think we're in the race? Yes. Yes, I do think we're in the race. Um, do I think that we're going to get there? I'm not there yet. I have I've seen way too many times this season where a good performance has been followed by a few really really poor performances. And let like I forgot to mention when I was talking for so long about the games, but the performance have not performances have not been that great. Like Everton was okay, not bad. But I still think that Alisson, world's greatest goalkeeper, the, one my, probably my, the greatest goalkeeper of all time in my eyes, he really kept us in the game against a 10-man Newcastle. And we got dominated since the red card. So I don't think the game or the performance actually gives me too much confidence. The result obviously does. It's a huge result and sometimes just getting the three points matters. But I've not seen enough. Uh, From the team that makes me think that we are not going to concede more and more goals. Buckets of goals, especially with Real Madrid coming to Anfield now. Uh, So no, I don't think we will actually get there. But to answer your question, are we in the race? Yes, 100%. There is a good chance that at the next weekend, we will play two games before Newcastle plays their first. Because they are going to be in the Carabao Cup. And there is a good chance we are equal on points with them. And they play Man City next. So yes, I do think we are in the race. And Spurs are... Not the most consistent team either this season. But I don't think that they're going to be... Um, um, I, I'm not convinced rather that they're actually going to get over the
1: line. I think Spurs with you know, the Antonio Conte problem as well. Uh, I think he's been off the boil because of his personal problems. And I, I think he's not able to motivate his team in the in the same way as he would in other seasons. And uh, like probably he will also move on at the end of the season is what it looks like looking at his body language. So, all things considered... Spurs, yeah, they are still in the race. They got points against West Ham after being, I think, uh, you know, putting their most dreadful performance against Leicester the previous weekend. So, they keep doing this Jekyll and Hyde thing. Uh, But yeah, it's it's interesting. The title race is on, the top four race is on. The relegation race is also pretty much on.
0: Let's not forget the really, really exciting Europa League race that's going on. Uh, Brighton and uh, Fulham, I think, uh, are are just exceeding expectations week on week um, they are dominating the likes of liverpool and chelsea at the moment in terms of their consistency um, the, the, there's a league there are a lot of teams that are doing really well in the league while a lot of teams we expected to do well are not doing so well but coming down to the bottom of the league uh, rk you touched upon it i have always maintained that this is impossible to call everybody is so unpredictable west ham are 18th now leeds are in, in the relegation spots. Southampton have sacked their new manager and they've got another new manager bounce that they're hoping for. So, uh, Bournemouth and Everton now suddenly look like they're getting a few games together. Next week, they'll be in the relegation spots. I don't know what to make of this. It's the most chaotic. If I was a betting man, I would not go anywhere near that relegation race. Yeah, other than Forrest,
1: uh, who surprisingly seem to have found some kind of stability. All the rest, it's like a pendulum. The the moment you think some team is really out of it, they come you know back into it. Like we have seen with the no manager, new manager bounce that you know Everton and Southampton are doing. Everton are showing signs that you know they might you know just escape the drop with you know the Sean Dyche, Dyche ball that they have been putting into place. Uh, even in the previous game against Leeds, it was all about you know pumping the ball up putting in good crosses getting a lot of corners you know uh, 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 like trying to win the aerial duels especially in the opposition box completely trying to intimidate the opponent it's it's so refreshing in a way to see you know this aerial ping pong is back in the premier league in a big way and I, and i think uh, that kind of novelty at least for a few games if they continue that before teams figure them out they might be able to you know get some valuable points
0: see i am all for the shondish make it difficult to win situation but rk you just made the you just made the cardinal sill you just said that everton are going probably going to be safe now i'll just call out to you they are they're facing chelsea arsenal spurs and united in their next seven games Um, So, there's a very good chance that at the end of these seven games, Everton are probably 19th or even 20th at this stage. So, there's no telling what's going to happen in this league, at least at the bottom of this league. Um, Everton were dire against Liverpool. I think that played a part in us winning the game. Uh, They were really good against Arsenal, but they were really poor against us. And just... This this past week, I don't know whether you guys caught caught the Seamus Coleman goal. It was um, it was like the Micon goal from all those years ago. Uh, nobody expected that to go in. But that's the kind of thing that they have to rely on to get goals nowadays. They are just not a goal-creating team anymore. They don't have a finisher who can finish off the few chances that they do create. They've lost Gordon as well. Um, I'm not as bullish as you are, RK. Though I would, uh, I would obviously like for them to not get relegated. They are a good team, and they've always been entertaining. They have a great crowd there as well. But I, I especially with the next seven games coming up, I think they're in trouble. Rather
1: good old love for Everton showing up there again. Uh, but but you know Leeds, uh, they are so up and down as well against the big teams. They you know show a good shape, show some good pressure. Uh, you know, force opponents into mistakes and then as soon as they play against teams at their level or in the bottom of the table, they are just not able to take the initiative at all. Uh, so, Leeds, I think, the more I see them, I, like Leeds look a bit more bleak to me than Everton at the moment.
2: Yeah, one thing I'm kind of concerned about is West Ham United. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> They, they, they were obviously a force to be reckoned with, or at least someone who was very difficult to play against last season. And everyone was just singing praises of Mois. Uh, but this season seems to be a totally, uh, you know, a different West Ham team altogether. The only attack comes seems to come come through uh, Gerard Bowen, who's like seems to be everywhere in the field. He's like taking shots outside the box, inside the box. Like he, like there, are, there have there been weeks where he's got like multiple goals and uh in in a game against Spurs I felt um as well even though Spurs weren't particularly good I felt that you know West Ham couldn't get anything out of the game they just had like one one shot on target I think again from Bowen um so I am slightly concerned about uh, West Ham I have a feeling that uh you know uh, West Ham might actually end up sacking Moes because uh as far as a team is concerned, West Ham are probably too big to go down uh, to the, into the championship.
0: So I think um, I think Up had shared an article on the on the group or maybe a Twitter thread on the group, um, which was talking about how Liverpool and Chelsea have played the most minutes leading up to the season, and they are really really underperforming versus what their expectations were. The other two teams that have played the most game most minutes are actually Man City and West Ham and, and both are actually struggling as well. Well, if you can call Man City struggling, mm-hmm. but it's definitely below the s- standards that they set themselves, right? So, I think there's a very clear trend that this is a little bit of a freak season and teams that have been successful or played a lot of games in the last few seasons are just under the pump and I feel there's a bit of that for West Ham and Moyes. Um, I don't know what to... Ha- I'm not going to make a prediction... Any kind of prediction to do with the b- bottom three. West Ham might get relegated. But there are a lot of candidates there. Leeds, you guys mentioned. Southampton, I think... May, I'm going to go out and say I think Southampton should get relegated. Um, Bournemouth and Wolves, I'm not convinced either. They have, they have a couple of wins. They get out of the uh, the the relegation zone. You already talked about Everton. So, yeah. Everybody, even Leicester are just four points above the drop at this stage. So they've also had a good run after the world cup and we we thought they were safe but four points is not much at all so nothing can be predicted i think right up from 13th or 14th spot people are in a little bit of danger so all right that but that's more excitement for us so let's move on then we've had a lot of european action this week and the last uh, we have a big big few games coming up tomorrow but what what happened last week we had united playing we had chelsea playing um, there was an amazing game that PSG were involved in. Let's start with the Chelsea game. I think one of the ten games that they haven't won was against Dortmund, and I I don't know whether you guys caught the caught the goal, but it was it was like something on FIFA where you are playing with a Premier League team versus a League Three team, and you get your your top striker the ball, and you just zoom past all the defenders. That's actually what happened. Adeyemi just blasted past 100 and whatever million Enzo Fernandez and and put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, I don't know how Adeyemi and Enzo were one on one in a game like that in a counter situation which started in their own half. Um, But he blasted past and scored. Looks like an exciting player, another exciting player coming out of Dortmund.
2: Yeah, Adele, EME has had a bit of a purple pass, right? Because he uh, yesterday as well, he scored a goal against Erta uh, Berlin. Uh, so, I think uh, the way I describe Dortmund-Chelsea is a team in its ascendancy in Dortmund and a team which is faltering right now in Chelsea. Uh, I, uh, I think none of the Chelsea fans were particularly confident going into this game and that's what happened. It's it's still a very... A uh, slender lead, one-nil uh, lead. I think uh, Stamford uh, at Stamford Bridge, anything can happen. So you, you, I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea get the result. Like sometimes in those European nights, Chelsea do tend to get uh, that one-off result. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if that happens. Uh, but yeah, I think overall Dortmund deserved that that particular win. Um, the goal, as you said, was a bit of a freak one, but like uh, otherwise, if you look at the overall uh overall game um uh dortmund had the better chances uh and uh, more shots on target as well so i feel uh dortmund was definitely worthy winners there
1: can be pretty sure then that chelsea are going to splurge money on ademi in the summer with their big big reserves <laughs> of money and probably but... hand hand him a 8
2: year contract or something right
0: yeah i don't know uh, maybe um, I disagree with you there actually Ashwin I thought Chelsea actually dominated that game had a lot of great chances um, a couple of really uh, unbelievable misses as well from them uh, but yeah the goal was uh, like amazing, I, I got really excited when I watched that goal, some other really exciting games in Europe PSG uh, we expected them with on the high of Messi winning the World Cup, Neymar probably playing his best football in the first half Mbappe being probably the best player in the world as well uh, we expected them to do a lot better than they have been doing. They, in fact, needed an 88th-minute equaliser and a 95th-minute messy free kick to, to beat Lille in the league yesterday. And they lost in the Champions League. Anything to be worried about there?
1: Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, they played uh, quite well after Mbappe came on, when I, uh, you know, watched the highlights. Uh, But again, it's, you know, familiar old feelings for PSG where, in all these important matches, they seem to, you know, always have a, a, you know, come short. And despite having all the superstars, it's again, goes back to that same thing about how are they able to build a team ethic. I was also reading that there uh, have been some, uh, you know, problems with the manager as well where. Uh, in in the uh, you know recent League One game, uh, probably one of the sporting directors or as you know someone at that position came onto the pitch and he was uh, you know shouting instructions or something like that. So it shows you know the kind of dysfunction which is there you know at PSG in general and uh, you know and it also shows probably why they will never be able to win the Champions League as well. Now they are again you know having a very tough second leg against a very tough team. I don't really expect them. You know to make it out, but uh, out of that tie. But of course, with Mbappe and with Messi, you never know. And Mbappe really looked very lively when he came on. So that's I think Mbappe is the only real hope that they have.
2: And and the other thing to look look out for is that Poward uh, was actually handed out a red card, so he'll pro- he'll miss the he'll he'll miss the return leg. So again, uh, like Dortmund Chelsea, it's a very slender lead that uh, Bayern take back
0: to Munich. Yeah, and just. A quick mention on Warren Zaire Emery, um, a sixteen-year-old who started for PSG in such a high-profile game. Just to make you lads feel a little old, he was born seven years after that night in Munich, um, and he was born two years or sorry, one year after the Champions League victory at Istanbul for Liverpool. So. Just just to make us feel a little, little bit little bit older, a 16 year old, what were we doing when we were 16? Alright then, wrapping it up, I think we have a big game coming up tomorrow, Liverpool welcome Real Madrid, I wonder if they have played each other in the recent past, I know what to expect, lot of heartbreak coming my way, uh, but this time at least we get to play a two-legged affair, uh, It's one game at Anfield, unfortunately we are playing the Anfield leg first. Um, looking at what Real Madrid did at their home ground last season in the Champions League no score in the first leg is ever going to be safe Um, so there's a little bit of a feel that there's nothing much that we can expect from tomorrow it might be a damn squib of a game uh, unless we are really poor and they actually beat us handsomely I think it will be a low scoring affair I hope we can get a little bit of our nose ahead Uh, but it will all come down to that big game um, at the Bernabeu uh, any other games you guys are looking forward to?
1: It's it's United's first chance of a trophy in 6 bloody years. So, I mean, let's see, uh, after all the jinxing that we have done on Newcastle, you know, I expect them to be even more motivated because I think they haven't won a trophy in, what, some 50 years? I don't know. So, it, it's going to be a big game for United. Never thought I would say that about the Carabao Cup Final, but looking forward to that.
0: Let me Let me go ahead and congratulate you guys in advance. Um, you are coming up against one of the best final goalkeepers of all time. Loris Karius is going to be in goal for Newcastle. I don't know what more there is to be said. Congrats on the first title of the Eric Ten Hag era.
1: Yeah, you can take it for granted that Loris Karius is going to be, you know, like some Peter Schmeichel on that day. But but even before that game, you know, I am also really looking forward to the Barcelona game. I don't really know what will happen there. You know, uh, given how close the first leg was, uh, Barcelona have a few important players. Their entire first-choice midfield, other than De Jong is either missing or injured or suspended. You know, for that game. Uh, and United did have a slight edge in the first leg, but it's going to be a very, very t- uh, you know, tight affair. Overall, Barca have also been looking good this season. So, yeah, it's it's really you know, few important games for United coming up with these two competitions, knockouts. And then we have a knockout against West Ham in the FA Cup. And then we travel to Anfield. So, big big two weeks for United coming. This is uh,
2: this is the time that Frankie de Young finally comes to Old Trafford. So, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Um, and yeah, as RK mentioned, like two really big, uh, I would say two really big finals for us in United Barcelona and United Newcastle. So, uh, yeah.
0: Exciting times uh, to be a United fan. Is that what I'm hearing? Looking forward to their first Trophy and a big game to show a certain Barcelona player the finger when he comes to Old Trafford. Um, all right, then we'll be back next week with the results of these games that we've been leading up to: uh, Liverpool versus Real Madrid, United versus Barcelona, United versus Newcastle, and all the games from the Premier League. Um, we've had a lot of unforeseen unavailability uh, within this podcast in the in the past few weeks, but. That's all behind us now. We'll be back next week with all the action. But until then, have a nice week.